Do you feel as if reality has been altered? That something or someone has interfered with our collective present moment? Then this is the podcast for you. This is the sound of duality. This has the sound of a DMT molecule as it travels through your body, opening you to the knowledge that you seek. It's also the sound of sheep and bliss, wandering this universe and the concept of Sonder as you play a lead role created by these two states of being. Pull up a pew and take a seat. This is a podcast of all you touch and all you see. The guests are everything in between. Enjoy the ride. Enjoy the duality of each state of being and the very thin line between each. All right, we're back. Welcome to Pull Up a Pew. I'm your host, Drew. I'm so, so happy to be here, as some of you may know, after creating this podcast back in 2019 and completing 15 epic episodes, that uh, my heart got pulled in a a different way. Uh, uh, I got a lot of incredible reviews uh, with incredible guests and... uh, I got a lot of messages that really touched my heart in ways that are hard to describe. Uh, but I had a moral issue I just couldn't ignore. And that was to help someone who just found me out of the blue. Uh, it's really weird, but he needed help creating uh, a missing persons alert application for the phone. It's with search coordination using crowdsourcing. And uh, so now it's moving along uh, very well. And uh, I, I really want to. Uh, impress upon the listeners to please, if you have children or elderly adults, you know, parents or anybody who could go missing, go and download the app. It's called the Owl Once Was Lost uh, app, and it could uh, literally save the life of a loved one. You know, the variety of topics and the powerful guests, you know, we interviewed, like I said, were all at the top of their game, so to speak. And I, I just know that today's guest is going to be just as compelling uh, in ways even more so due to his message. But before we begin, I want to let you all know that we have a co-host. His name is Zach. <laughs> He's half my age. He's very smart, intuitive, and has a handle on all things spiritual that most his age can't even fathom, nor even care about. We met not too long ago and just hit it off immediately, and I can say that I knew the relationship would grow from there. And this is the result of that, the relaunch of Pull Up a Pew. So, Zach, please briefly introduce yourself. Tell the listeners the most important thing, maybe. You want to uh, let them know about you, etc. Sure, I'd be happy to. And uh, first off, I just wanted to say I'm super excited to be the newest addition as co-host on Paul Pew. It means a lot, so thank you, Drew. Uh, secondly, my, my name is Zach. I'm 25 years old. I was born in Luhansk, Ukraine. A little under two years ago, I actually underwent a life-changing spiritual transformative experience. Uh, completely flipped my life upside down. Because of that, it caused me to shed many aspects of my old self and just uh, found a, a new a new me, you know. So uh, yeah, I kind of <clears throat> went on a path of uh, truth, you know. So I started to seek the truth and try to find a deeper purpose and understanding to my life. So that that's about it. And uh, 
now I'm walking the spiritual path and uh, yes, that's, it's kind of the kind of it. Thank you, Zach. I appreciate that. I know all the listeners are going to, are going to love you and get to know you. It's, you know, absolutely positive. It's, it's going to be a great experience. So, all right. Our today's guest is Rob Schwartz. He's a hypnotist who offers between life soul regressions or BLSRs to help people heal and understand their life plans. In a BLSR, you can speak directly with your council of elders, the wise, loving, and highly evolved beings who can tell you what you planned for your current lifetime and why, how well you're fulfilling your plan, and how you may better fulfill your plan. Rob's first book, Your Soul's Plan, Discovering the Real Meaning of Life, You Planned Before You Were Born, explores the pre-birth planning of physical illness, having disabled children, deafness, blindness, drug addiction, alcoholism, the death of a loved one, accidents. The second book, Your Soul's Gift, The Healing Power of the Life You Planned Before You Were Born, explores the uh, pre-birth planning of spiritual awakening, miscarriage, abortion, suicide, caregiving, sexuality, adoption, having pets, poverty, mental illness, and other life challenges and experiences. His third book, Your Soul's Love, Living the Love You Planned Before You Were Born, is about the pre-birth planning of challenges related to romantic relationships of, or their absence, infidelity, impotence, you know, raising children alone after the death of a one's partner, being single, celibate relationships as well. Rob's books have been translated into 27 languages, which I find amazing. He teaches uh, internationally on the subject of pre-birth planning at such venues as the United Nations, Kripalu, I'm pronouncing that right, 1440 Multiversity, and Hollyhock. So, Robert, welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Absolutely. And we are, you know, very ecstatic to have you on today. Uh, like I said, I'm going to kind of let Zach jump in the cold end of the pool and kind of just sit back and listen and ask questions. And like I said, I may have some along the way as well. Why don't you get us started, Rob? Let us know all about the pre-birth planning. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I think I missed the question. Oh, oh, I said, uh, yeah, to go ahead and, and start. Tell us about the pre-birth planning. Oh, I'd be happy to. Thank you. So, so uh, it's my understanding that we all plan our lives in considerable detail before we incarnate. And my work in particular is focused on the pre-birth planning of experiences that most people would consider to be challenges, uh, because that's where the need for understanding is. In other words, you know, when joyful things happen, nobody says, why is this happening to me? You just enjoy it, right? But when something challenging happens, then everybody wants to know why did this happen? What does it mean? How should I respond to it? So the way I got into this kind of work, I was actually in the corporate world for a number of years uh, doing marketing communications work, did not enjoy that at all. And then back in 2003, at the age of 40, uh, I had a spiritually transformative experience in which I was doing nothing more than walking down the sidewalk in the middle of the afternoon and I had an experience in which I, I felt pure, overwhelming, unconditional love for every person I saw. Those are the words that get closest to the experience in the English language, but there really are no words that even begin to describe it. 
this was a, a divine love. It was a transcendent experience. And I was caused to know, you could say, I was caused to know in this experience that we as souls are made literally from the energy of unconditional love. Now, what I didn't know at the time was why this was happening. That became clear a couple of years later. By that time, I had looked at a number of people's pre-birth plans for my first book. And what I found was that every pre-birth plan, no matter what was being planned, even when negative roles were being scripted for other people, it was always based on complete unconditional love for every person involved. And then I realized, ah, that experience walking down the street two years ago, that was given to me so that when I found this result in my research, I would be absolutely certain that what I was finding was true. So I ended up leaving the corporate world, uh, spent three years on a full-time basis writing my first book. And now I have a, a completely different and much more fulfilling kind of life in which I, I feel that I'm actually making a big difference in the world. So the way that I researched people's pre-birth plans in the first two books, Your Soul's Plan and Your Soul's Gift, was by working with mediums and channels who in one way or another can access that kind of information. In the new book, uh, Your Soul's Love, it's a combination of sessions with mediums and channels and the type of hypnosis I practice, the between lives soul regression that you talked about in the introduction, that allows people to speak directly with their council of elders, the beings who oversee their personal evolution. And in those conversations, they can ask literally any question they have about their current lifetime or any past life they know about. And if it's for their highest good, they will get an answer. So people come out of their, those conversations with their council and they say things like, they answered every question I asked. I have no more questions about my life. Um, your audience may want to know that if they go to YourSoulsPlan.com, you can read large excerpts from all three books for free. Uh, and on the sessions page, there's a one-hour video of a between-life soul regression, so you can see exactly what that consists of. But the intentions of the work are to help people awaken, by which I mean come into some awareness that you are more than your body, more than your thoughts, more than your feelings. You are, in fact... Uh, a divine, eternal, and very courageous being because you have the courage to come to earth, which is a particularly tough school. Uh, another intention of the work is to help people heal from their biggest challenges. And a third intention is to help them understand the deeper spiritual meaning and purpose of those challenges. The understanding is a large part of the healing. Uh, Drew? Yeah, I'm here. Uh, you wanted to lead on the questions and, and ask, or did you want me to? Oh, no, I'm, I'm good so far. Yeah, no, ask away. Oh, okay. All right. So, uh, Rob, I just want to say I've uh, listened to all three of your books, and I'm a huge fan, and uh, it's, it's a big part of uh, me, you know, into this whole spirituality. So I, I really appreciate you coming out with all this. So, uh, yeah, I just wanted to say thank you for that. I've watched a lot of your videos, so it means a lot to me for you coming on as well. Well, you're very welcome, and I appreciate you saying that. So I, I have some questions, and I, I'm sorry I did have to jump off for a second. Um, so I just wanted to ask, and I'm sorry if I'm uh, jumping a little bit ahead on here. So um, I, I wanted to ask um, about the, the Michael system. Mm -hmm. if you could kind of elaborate on that. 
Yeah, the Michael system is a body of channel literature. And I should explain here, Michael in this case does not refer to Archangel Michael. Michael in this case is a collective, a group consciousness. Uh, Michael has channeled a lot of information about life plans relative to soul age and soul archetype. So in terms of soul age, and I, I'm not an expert on the Michael system, but just to give you a feel for it, I believe there are five categories of soul age, and it's something like infant, young, middle age, mature, and old. Then there are a number of archetypes. It's things like priest, I'm in the priest archetype, warrior, king, and there are several others. And so Michael says that the life plan you create before you incarnate is very much based on this intersection between your soul age and your soul archetype. So to give you a couple hypothetical examples, a young king would plan to have power simply for the sake of having power. A mature or old king would plan to have power in order to use that power in service to others. A young priest would do something like plan to lead an evangelical congregation. Uh, in the Michael system, I'm a mature priest. A mature priest would plan to do something like what I'm doing in this lifetime. And then Michael right. talks about how the lessons that you choose to work on are very much a function of soul age. So Michael says infant souls who haven't had many incarnations on earth and possibly even none previously, they want to explore issues of survival on the physical plane. So they will tend to incarnate in a place like Africa that lends itself to that kind of exploration. When you go up a category in soul age to young souls, Michael says young souls want to explore power on the physical plane and that they tend to incarnate in the US because it lends itself to an exploration of power. And then according to Michael, mature and old souls want to explore psychological issues, relationships, spirituality. And I don't know what the reason is for this, but according to Michael, they tend to incarnate in very specific parts of the world. In the US is the Pacific Northwest and cities that we would consider new agey like Sedona, Arizona, and Asheville, mm -hmm. North Carolina. Uh, and also, according to Michael, House. the mature and old souls are in Scandinavian countries, and I think Iceland, Poland, and Switzerland. Uh, there's actually a lot more to this system, but that gives you a feel for it. Okay, all right. And I, you know, I have a lot of questions, and I, I don't want to kind of leave my uh, listeners high and dry here, if they, you know. But uh, so I have a question about spirit guides. Mm -hmm. So do they communicate? So per se, my spirit guides would they communicate with your spirit guides and Andrew's spirit guides? How, how does how does that work? Well, guides certainly can communicate with each other. Uh, their primary responsibility is to keep the individual, the person they're guiding in this lifetime on the highest vibrational life plan that the person can manage to get themselves on. So to explain this in greater detail, my wife is a channel and she channels a collective that we refer to as the beings of light who exist in a state of unity consciousness. The way the beings of light have explained it to us is that everybody has many pre-birth plans, not just one, and they vary according to vibration or frequency. So if you think of each life plan as being an individual sheet of paper, everybody has their own stack of sheets. And the sheets that are at the top are the highest vibrational life plans. That's where most of the learning is done through love, peace, and joy, not so much through pain and suffering. The sheets at the bottom of the stack are just the opposite. The learning is done primarily through pain and suffering, not so much through love, peace, and joy. 
obviously everybody wants as little suffering and as much love, peace, and joy as they can arrange for. So you want to get yourself on the highest vibrational life plan that you can. Uh, and the way to do that, it, it's actually very simple, although not necessarily easy. And that is to simply be the most loving person you can be. Anytime you have to make a decision, whether it's small or large, if you ask yourself, what would love with a capital L do now? And then you do whatever the answer to that question is, that will put you on a very high vibrational life path. So is it is it safe to say that, okay, so the, the bottom sheets of paper, is that where we start on when we come into body? No, I think the average person is starting somewhere in the middle of the stack. And then depending upon the nature of the free will decisions they make, in other words, are their decisions uh, self-centered or loving and in service to others, then you move up or down in the stack depending upon those decisions. And aren't those, are you, are those are those are the pre-birth plans then i guess is that what you're That's saying right. right you move up or, or and then down I, um how does free will play in into this rob so one of the mediums uh, with whom i collaborate she says that when uh, we do sessions together the person that we're talking with for the book uh, spirit will show her uh, what looks to her like an incredibly vast and elaborate flowchart that lays out this person's pre-birth plans. So what is a flowchart? It's a series of decision points. If you do A, then X happens. If you do B, mm -hmm. then Y happens. The flowchart that spirit shows her is so vast and intricate that it's really beyond human comprehension. That flowchart represents the soul having taken into account all the possible free will decisions the personality might make. We all have free will. Your soul wants you to have free will because that's the only way truly meaningful learning can occur. Right. In other words, if we didn't have free will, we would simply be automatons and then no true learning would happen. Okay. All right. So let me, let me see here how I want, how I would like to go to about, go about this. So, okay, I've heard you talk about exit points. So, okay, how, how does that work? So I, I guess if my, uh, one of my things was to come into this, you know, form here and incarnate at this time, this current time, if I wanted to cultivate self-love and say I had four exit points, so how would that, if I didn't reach self-love by the age of, you know, 30, I mean, how, how would that work? So who, who decides your exit points? Am I communicating based on my actions in this lifetime with my higher self? Uh, I mean, when I go to bed, am I communicating with my spirit guides? So who, who, uh, who, who controls that? Who, who makes that call? The life plan, including the exit points, is created by your soul, your higher self, in consultation with God or source or whatever term you would like to use and ascended masters and your guides and your guardian angels. So an exit point is just what it sounds like. It, it's a time in the physical incarnation when your soul can choose to end the incarnation if it wants to do so. Why would a soul do that? Well, for the most part, under one of two sets of circumstances. One is you have learned everything you came to learn and done everything you came to do, in which case it's now time to go home. Or the opposite, your soul concludes for whatever reason that you will not be able to learn what you came to learn or do what you came to do 
And in that case, rather than waste time on the physical plane, it's better to come back and plan another lifetime where you can complete what you came here to do. Uh, you, the incarnate personality, have input as to whether or not uh, you're going to take an exit point. But ultimately, as I understand it, that decision is made by your higher self. Okay, all right. And you come up with all these uh, divine virtues. So how, how many divine virtues are there, would you say? Uh, I'm working with a list of about 28 right now. Let me explain to your audience what a divine virtue is. So when I went into people's pre-birth planning sessions with uh, the mediums in order to learn about people's pre-birth plans, uh, over a period of time, I noticed that when souls were planning big challenges for themselves, a lot of the conversation in the pre-birth planning session revolved around a soul-level desire to cultivate and then express while in body certain qualities that are very important to the soul. And I gave these qualities the name divine virtues. And over a long period of time, I put together a list of the ones that came up the most often. So in the online workshops that I do, I lead people through something that I call the divine virtues exercise, which gives them insight into which virtues they're working on cultivating and expressing in this incarnation. And that is really valuable information to have because then anytime in the future that a new challenge comes along, instead of feeling victimized by it or instead of feeling like it has no deeper meaning or purpose, which really creates a lot of additional suffering, you can just say to yourself, okay, I know that I'm in this incarnation to cultivate and express whatever it might be. And it's usually two or three, compassion, patience, empathy, just to pick three at random. Knowing that, how can I work with this new challenge to cultivate and or express those virtues? So when you ask that question, it has the effect of immediately assigning deeper meaning to a challenge that otherwise might appear to be meaningless suffering. So assigning meaning to it like that greatly reduces the suffering and it allows you to cultivate and express the virtues in a much more conscious and much less arduous manner. Uh, if any of your listeners are interested in doing this exercise in one of the workshops, uh, just go to the events page at YourSoulsPlan.com. The whole schedule is there. Yeah, well, we'll definitely put all that information so our listeners can uh, feel free to, to go and check that out because that's, that's very important. And I'd, I'd love for our, for our listeners just to be able to, you know, hear some of your stuff. It, it's just truly remarkable. So thank you. And uh, what, what the... I, Go ahead. I got a quick question. Um, Rob, do you, have you ever, um, where, where, let me ask you this way. Where is the pre-birth planning occurring? Is it occurring within this physical universe? You know, like with string theory, they say we're working on 11 dimensional planes, all kinds of different things. I, I love theoretical physics. Or is this uh, completely outside of the physical universe? My, my understanding is that it's a non-physical realm. Our, our home, as you could call it, is a non-physical place, meaning simply that it's at a much higher vibration than form or physical matter. Is it consciousness? Sorry, what was that? What, is it consciousness? Well, everything is consciousness, right. ultimately. So uh, in your soul's plan, in my first book, uh, in the, I believe it's in the introduction, 
there's a description of the building on the other side where the pre-birth planning okay. takes place. Uh, but again, this is a non-physical building. It isn't physical the way it is here on the earth plane. Got it. Thank you. Okay. Uh, just to kind of go back to the divine virtues. So you said there, there's about three that we plan to work on. So is there such a thing as uh, picking too many? How, how would that look like? Uh, that that does happen sometimes. There are some souls who, uh, for lack of a better word, are very ambitious when they put together their pre-birth plan, and they end up taking on more than they can. Uh, sometimes those incarnations come to an early end because it just proves to be too much. Uh, other times they sort of soldier through it. But I think the important thing for your listeners to keep in mind here is that if you don't complete everything you plan to do in a lifetime, your soul, your guides, your whole non-physical team, none of them have any judgment of you whatsoever. The soul's reaction to not completing a life plan is simply a sense or a feeling of incompletion. And so the soul will then create a new lifetime with a new plan that's intended to fulfill the part that was left unfinished. But there's no judgment at all. Uh, so going go to the to the uh, pre-birth planning. So when you plan that, I, I, there's okay. So you have a soul group. How does that work? I mean, how many souls would be part of that? I mean, is there a, is there a set number? Is it how would how would that so. look? My understanding that is that there are twenty five usually twenty five to seventy five souls in a soul group. Now, what is a soul group? It's a collection of souls who are at more or less the same evolutionary stage, which is another way of saying more or less the same vibration. So you and the other members of your soul group will have many, many, and I mean hundreds, if not thousands of lifetimes on earth together, and also in, on other physical planets and in many non-physical realms too. And in these lifetimes, at least the ones on earth, you take turns playing every conceivable role for each other. So you and the other members of your soul group will be, for example, mother and daughter, father and son, brother and sister, best friends, mortal enemies, even murderer and the one who is murdered. And again, at the soul level, there's no judgment of any of those roles. They're all viewed as opportunities for learning, healing, and expansion. So I think that's that that would be hard for a lot of people. I know it was for myself at first. And just to kind of bring this up, I guess you could say uh, rapists and pedophiles, you know, that that's I think that would be hard for a lot of people. Murder. But there's a there's a bigger reason for that. But at this level, it, it seems hard to believe that that would be a good thing. You know, in, in my second book, Your Soul's Gift, there's an entire chapter about the pre-birth planning of rape. And there's an entire chapter about the pre-birth planning of incest. Those two chapters, out of all the things that I've written about, are by far the most sensitive and challenging. Uh, I had to debate with myself for a while whether or not to include those in the book, but I was getting very yes. clear guidance from Spirit that these were to be included. And I certainly understand that it's hard to wrap your mind around that. I have the same reaction myself. But if yeah. your audience takes a look at those two chapters, with some mm -hmm. openness, uh, there are actually very good reasons why a soul would plan to have those experiences. And something really important to keep in mind is that nobody is permanently harmed by anything that happens here on the earth plane. 
And also the learning, the growth, the wisdom becomes part of you literally for all eternity. So given that, that mm -hmm. nobody is permanently harmed and yet the wisdom becomes part of you for all eternity, from that perspective, it actually does make sense that some souls, not all, but some would plan those kinds of experiences. I had a, a quick question before we go too far away from the, the group uh, issue of, you know, if we plan to be all together for a very long period of time, playing all of those different roles. There's another thing, and I apologize, I can't remember the term, but it's like a brief meeting with somebody where they push you back onto your, your path. Right. You're, you're referring to something that is called a bump that contract. Yeah. So a, a bump contract, and we all have these with at least one person, sometimes several. Mm -hmm. It's something you set up before you and the other person incarnate. And it, it does just what it sounds like. It's intended to bump you back on the path you planned for yourself if you have steered strayed off that path. The way that you know that you have a bump contract with someone, it's a very brief but very intense relationship that has a huge impact on the trajectory of your life. Okay. Yeah, so I, I guess I can kind of relate to that. So my past relationship, uh, I was with the woman for three years and it was, you know, the most intense relationship I ever had, but Multuous. after getting out of that relationship, that's actually when my, my kind of spiritual awakening happened when my eyes were open. So I guess, would you say that's a bump con that, that was a bump contract? Uh, three years to me it, too long is longer. I think of a bump contract more in terms of days or possibly weeks. Okay. Uh, it sounds to me like that, because it has such a big impact on your life, that relationship almost certainly was planned by both of you before you were born. Uh, and one of the reasons would be for it to have the effect that you just described. But I would imagine there are a number of other reasons as well, learnings that each one of you wanted to have from that relationship. Right, right. And yeah, I was wondering about that. So three years would be a little too long. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so I, I guess, you know, so say just to bring that up, if, you know, toxic relationships, so say I was the victim and then, you know, the, the other person was the one abusing. So I, I, are those roles reversed? So maybe in a past lifetime, I was the abuser and the, the other person was the victim. Is that is that safe to say? Uh, they, they often do get reversed, but not always. And it's the two people in the relationship who decide whether or not they're going to change roles in another lifetime. So the, the way it works is that when each lifetime is over, everyone has a life review. And you would see the abusive relationship replayed in the life review. And you and the other person might or might not have a sense of completion in regard to that relationship. If you feel complete with that experience, then as I understand it, there is no karma and you go on to plan something entirely new. But if you feel incomplete with it, meaning you feel that there's more to learn, then at that point, the feeling of incompletion is the karma. And so then you would probably plan to trade roles. How okay. do uh, pets uh, fit into this as well as the rest of the animal kingdom, so to speak? Yeah, in my second book, Your Soul's Gift, there's a whole chapter about the pre-birth planning we do with pets. That is part of people's pre-birth planning if they're going to have pets. Uh, the story in that chapter is a particularly poignant story. It's about a woman who plans, for various reasons of her own, 
to be a dwarf in this lifetime. She's four feet, eight inches tall. So we go into her pre-birth planning session and she and her guide create this plan together. And then her guide says to her something along the lines of, you know, this is going to be very difficult, especially when you're a child. The other children at school are going to tease and ostracize you. We need to put supports in place to get you through this very difficult experience. And the plan they then come up with is that she will have many, many unconditionally loving pets who will love her through that difficult childhood experience. So dogs come into the pre-birth planning session, cats come in, a future horse comes in. There's even a, a rooster named Crooked Beak who comes in. And these animals talk with tremendous intelligence about the role they are going to play for her. And they essentially say to her, we will love you unconditionally through this experience. I really like that. That's, that's really cool. So the pets are at a lower stage of uh, evolution, soul, speaking soul-wise. So they're, they're at a lower stage. They're, they're not at the same uh, stage as us, right? They're, they're, they're still I, I working their way up. I don't think I would use the word lower. Uh, it's my understanding that pets are here as our teachers. Okay. Uh, if, if you think about dogs, for example, dogs are tremendously unconditionally loving. And even when their owners are unkind to them, uh, generally they still offer unconditional love to that person. So it's my understanding that the reason dogs are on the earth plane is to model unconditional love to human beings. Okay. A teacher. Okay. Okay. Another quick question. I'm sorry, Zach. I didn't mean to interrupt. Oh, no, no, go ahead. Because I, I remember hearing about the channeling and I know your wife does channeling. Um, I've heard, uh, you know, the channeling of uh, Jesus being brought up, but is that equally uh, with the other sages, uh, Muhammad, uh, Buddha, Lao Tzu, people like that as well? Well, every person you just mentioned is a very ancient and very, very highly evolved, enlightened being. And these are some of the great masters and great teachers who have come to the earth plane. Uh, I think personally of Jesus as the wisest being who has ever walked the earth plane. Um, and he's channeled extensively in my second and third books. Uh, but one thing he says is that he would like people simply to think of him as an older, wiser brother. He has absolutely no ego at all. He evolved beyond that a long time ago uh, and would just like to be seen as a, an older, wiser brother and a friend. Is it possible they're the same uh, entity just living at different times, influencing different people? Well, it depends on what you mean by the same. Ultimately, there's actually only one being in existence in the entire universe. And that one being is expressing itself in an almost infinite number of individualized aspects. So you are an, 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 excuse me, an individualized aspect of the one, and so am I, and so is everybody else. What uh, I so mean is, is he reincarnating, uh, reincarnating into these other figures to in, to influence more? Or that more? I don't know. I okay. have never explored that particular. Okay. So how was ex the way it was explained to me? So there's only one, I guess, consciousness, and that that would be God, Source, Creator. And uh, the way it was explained to me, so it's basically like, like a, a giant bowl. So God is the bowl, and we're all the soup in the bowl being held together. Is, is that, is that true? Is that one uh, way of looking at it? It is one way of looking at it. I, it's an interesting way to put it and I would not quibble with that. Okay. Okay. 
Yeah, so kind of going back to the spirit guides, and you hear a lot how people have, I guess, interactions with uh, entities, stuff like that, ghosts. Um, they, they start communicating uh, telepathically. So that's part of your pre-birth plan. So I know for me, at least, you know, sometimes it gives me goosebumps if, if I was communicating with something that I couldn't see. You know, I, I, that might scare me a little bit. So is that set up before you come into body where it's like, hey, no, that's that's going to take me way off my course and that might put me down a dark road? You know, is that is that put in place or is it, does does everybody have that ability to do that or allowed to communicate with such beings? Is that, how, how does that work? Well, I believe that everybody is naturally telepathic. That's how we communicate when we're back at our, in our non-physical home. Uh, but in terms of the contact you're going to have with non-physical beings here on the earth plane, uh, I think very often that probably is planned. If it's something important for your learning, then it's going to be part of a plan. I think there are other people who probably did not plan those sorts of experiences, particularly in regard to what some people call ghosts, uh, but they got intrigued by it at the level of the personality and made unplanned free will decisions to explore that. Uh, and that's part of the learning on the earth plane, too, is to do things that were not discussed in the pre-birth planning. Okay. All right. And I, I hate to go back to jump all the way back to the soul group. And you mentioned, you know, with, with the Michael system, the the ages of, you know, souls, so mature, young. Um, so with the soul group, I say with my soul group, is it, you know, if I was an old soul per se, I mean, would, would everybody else be an old soul or would there be some young souls? I mean, you said everyone's at the same vibration, right? So would everybody be at the same? Perhaps not exactly the same vibration, but more or less the same vibration. That's really what a soul group is. But there is turnover in soul groups because the individual souls progress or evolve at different rates. So mm -hmm. if you learn faster than the other members of your soul group, you would at some point join another soul group that's at a higher vibration. Uh, and then by the same token, somebody else who started off in a lower vibrational soul group, if they're learning faster than the rest of their soul group, they may leave that soul group and join the one that you were originally in. So there, there is turnover like that. Okay. And I guess you're not going to meet everybody in your soul group within your incarnation. Is that is that true? Or maybe it just depends on your free, free will choice? Uh, that, as I understand it, would be extremely unlikely simply because uh, it's quite rare. In fact, I've never even heard of it happening that all the members of a soul group are incarnated at exactly the same time period. Oh, okay. Okay. Got another quick question um, about the incarnation. I, I always had a the thought of how this could actually work with, you know, so many new people being born. And I remember you mentioning in, in your videos, there's like um, three, uh, let's say different people, but only one is actually going to, going to come here. Um, but I had a concept that it was all kind of one being, like you mentioned, or one consciousness in the beginning. And as life emerged, it kept dividing itself like a cell. And, you know, they say that, you know, our civilization goes back probably a lot further than we could ever imagine. There could have been many civilizations that have come and gone. Um, but we had, like you were talking about, telepathic abilities, telekinesis. We were a lot more wise, uh, so on and so forth, uh, if that was true. So it almost seems to me like with all these divisions, I just imagined it as us devolving more than evolving. 
Well, the general plan for the earth plane, as I understand it, is that God or source at one point asked the question, what would it be like if we, meaning the individualized aspects of the one, were turned against each other? And so that's essentially the, the hollow game, you could call it, that's being played on the earth plane. Uh, the sorts of divisiveness and differences that you see in the news headlines, uh, this is something that Source wanted to explore, uh, but this is not ultimate reality. This is an artificial right, simulated right. reality in, in which we're playing out essentially what is a play on a stage. All the world's a stage. Right. Okay. All right. So <clears throat> the life review. Um, so, you know, I, I've seen some uh, some videos and they, they talk about it being, uh, you know, you die and then you see your life being played out on a screen like a movie. Is, is that, I mean, I guess every single one is different. Sometimes you would go through your life review with uh, uh, a loved one that has passed on. Um, God, I mean, is, is it's, it's all different, right? There's not one set way that it, that it carries out. As I understand it, the, the life review is intended to assess, did you learn what you came to learn? Which basically is another way of saying, uh, did you learn to love? That's the bottom line lesson here on the earth plane. We were all here learning how to more freely and fully give and receive love. And from the soul's perspective, giving and receiving are equally important. It's not sufficient just to give love. You also want to learn how to fully receive love. So in the life review, mm -hmm. it's done with your guides. And as I understand it, they, they don't take you chronologically through the life, but rather they'll show you scenes that relate to the themes you plan to study when you were here. So let's say, for example, you plan okay. to deepen in compassion, which is one of the divine virtues. Then they will show you a series of scenes in your life in which you did or did not display compassion. And these scenes will be presented in order of vibration. So they might okay. start with the scene in which you showed no compassion, therefore it's the lowest vibration. And then they work their way up to the scene where you showed tremendous compassion. That's the highest vibrational scene. And your hope would be, of course, that the higher vibrational scenes are more concentrated toward the end of the chronological lifetime, which would indicate that you were actually cultivating compassion. Okay. All right. And uh, could, could you explain the, the veil of forgetfulness? Yeah, the, the veil is a term used to describe the fact that after we incarnate, we don't remember our life plan. We don't remember what life, for the most part, we don't remember what life on the other side is like. We don't remember that we are divine, eternal beings. It looks to us, mm -hmm. through the limitations of the five senses, that this is all there is. And the veil serves an important function. Uh, some people don't like it and they wish that it didn't exist, but it really does help the learning process. And the way it does that is that to the extent that you believe this is all there is, that has the effect of making the emotions you experience much more intense. In other words, if there were no veil and you remembered everything about who you are, where you come from and what your life plan is, Mm -hmm. That would diffuse the intensity of the emotions you experience here. And a lot of the growth and learning on the earth plane comes through the experience of intense emotions. And in particular, learning how to relate to and work skillfully with 
your own intense emotions. Okay. Yeah. And I guess there's no way to, to kind of bypass that. I know I've heard of some stories. There's some people out there, Kristen Sundberg, one example where uh, he actually remembers his, uh, his planning session. I mean, have you, have you heard of that where people actually remember that and they uh, can go back and, and just picture that in their mind? Yeah. You know, from time to time, I'm contacted by someone who remembers at least some portion of their pre-birth planning. Uh, that is by design. Whatever that person is doing, their mission requires them to have at least some remembrance of what life on the other side was like. So, so like, yeah, all the spiritual awakenings and things of that nature, that, that's all planned. So when I had my experience, I, I planned that, right? That would certainly be my understanding, yes. Okay, okay. All right. Well, uh, Drew, do you, do you have another question? Or? I, I, yeah, I actually do. It was what we were talking about before we, we started. Because, you, uh, Rob, you mentioned simulation earlier. You know, there is a, um, and there doesn't have to be any answers to this, but I just find it so fascinating. There's a theory called the simulation theory, you know, that goes along the lines that, uh, you know, with virtual reality gaming, uh, you know, it's becoming so realistic that if it keeps going, it's, obviously going to become as realistic as everything that we look at, you know, in the here and now. Um, but there's two parts to that. Um, so they also, uh, say that reality itself has to be observed, you know, going back to the famous double slit experiments that they did that, you know, the observation changed what was happening with the, with the photon. Um, how it was entering the slits, whether it was a wave or it was a particle, things of that nature. So, um, so everything that you look at and everything you sense, like everything you touch and see, like we say in our, you know, pull up a pew tagline is really all that exists, um, that your brain just interprets signals and then sent, you know, gives you everything that you're looking at, that it really is all an illusion. Um, and then back to the simulation um, that the chance that we're actually in the base reality are billions to one because going on further and further and further, there's going to be more and more people running these simulations, you know, full simulations of the universe or whatever of, of this plane of existence, let's say. Um, have you ever heard of that or? I, I've heard various theories along those lines. Um, I'm not but this sure. all work. It, it, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I forgot to ask my question. If it were, would it even make a difference if it was almost nested shells going up? If, if it, you know what I'm saying? If, if it, if it was a simulation and all of this was built into the simulation, would we even know? Well, it, it depends on your definition of simulation. My, my understanding of the way the universe works is that uh, the dimensions vary according to vibration and they are nested within each other. So the third dimension where we are now is nested within the fourth, which is nested within the fifth and so on and so on. So if that's the definition of simulation, then I would agree that we're living in a simulation. If it means something else than that, then I'm not sure. <laughs> Me either, but I like that. I, I like that answer. Thank you. <clears throat> 
All right. So how would you explain AI? Because I've heard that uh, AI, it's, it's actually a consciousness that's, that's going, coming into it. I mean, I, would, would you agree with that? Or? Well, again, everything is consciousness. consciousness. Some consciousnesses are very basic or primitive or elemental, like the consciousness of a stone. A stone has consciousness. Uh, but if you were to have somebody who has these sorts of abilities to channel the consciousness of the stone, it would not have a whole lot of interest to say. Uh, mm -hmm. AI, uh, I would imagine, has a much more sophisticated consciousness. Uh, a lot of this depends on people's beliefs. It's my understanding, for example, that uh, if you take a business, let's say where there are a thousand employees, if any number more than 500, if any number more than half, believe that the company, the business has its own consciousness, then that belief by the plus 50% actually creates the consciousness. It calls it into being. I like that idea about the animated um, objects, you know, that everything does have a, a consciousness. So no, I've heard, so basically Earth is described as a school and it's it's one of the hardest, but there, there's plenty of other places that we've incarnated before. That's my understanding. Uh, the universe is, is infinite and there are an infinite number of physical places where you can incarnate and there are a number of, an infinite number of non-physical realms, mental realms, emotional realms, where you can go to study thought, to study feeling. Uh, everything that you can think of is out there and a whole lot of things that you can't think of. Now, do we do we start so when we you know, plan to, to come to Earth? I mean, are, are we stuck there until we learn everything we've need, needed to learn? Or do we kind of bounce around to different places? I mean, do we, do we usually just stick with one until we're done and we, we kind of pass the, the, the grade, I guess you could say? That, that's really up to every individual. Uh, the average person, as I understand it, will intersperse incarnations on Earth with incarnations on other planets and non-physical lifetimes. But if you wanted to, you could just keep coming back to Earth again and again until you felt complete with that experience. My understanding is that nobody is forced to come here. And mm -hmm. so a lot of people say, well, we must be because I would never choose to come to a place like this. But again, you right. have to keep in mind your perspective when you plan your life is very different than it is once you get here. And again, the differences are that you know that no one is permanently harmed by anything that happens here. And that yet the wisdom becomes part of you literally for all eternity. From that perspective, you would be much more likely to come back than you may think. Okay, and, uh, so I, I know I've heard you talk about uh, like 9-11, so that's, uh, how would that work? I guess it's a, it's a bunch of souls that agree if, if the... Yeah, that massive, like he was talking about in the video I was watching about the tsunami, where those 100,000 people all agreed to, have, to pass away from that tsunami in order to raise the vibration level on Earth. Is that correct? Yeah, that's exactly my understanding. Um, shortly after that tsunami in Southeast Asia occurred a number of years ago, I was doing a channeling session for one of my books and the subject of the tsunami came up. And so I asked Spirit what happened there. And the response was that these 100,000 or so souls looked uh, at the frequency of the earth in their pre-birth planning. And they said to themselves, 
we would like the planet to get to a certain higher frequency by a certain point in linear time. And if it looks like it isn't going to get there, then we agree to give our lives in this large-scale natural disaster because we know the result of that will be this worldwide outpouring of love and compassion that will elevate the frequency of the whole planet. And that is exactly how it played out. You might recall you had all the governments of the world temporarily put aside their differences to funnel aid into Southeast Asia. That out outpouring of love and compassion raised the frequency of the whole planet dramatically. Like 9-11 as well. A lot of countries. Yeah, 9-11, yeah, I mean, it certainly a terrible tragedy from the level of the personality, but look at the way it brought people together. Look again at the outpouring of love and compassion. Right, right. And I, I've, see, I've listened to a lot of channelings and uh, honestly, that's how I got into it is through you. So I have to give you a lot of thanks for that. But I, I, I've listened to a lot of Dolores Cannon and she talks about how, you know, right now we're, we're, we're humans, you know, but uh, we started off, we might have been uh, the ocean or, or something, the rocks or dirt. I mean, is, is that true? I mean, is that how we start off around there, then just kind of work our way to a different level or maybe not level is not the best word, but is, uh, would, would you say that's true or? You know, I, I don't feel qualified to comment on that. I've never explored that particular question in my research. Okay. Okay. Uh, Drew, do you, do you have another question? Uh, no, I'm, I'm good. And Rob, I want to say that, you know, not only is everything you're saying really, really compelling, uh, exquisite, but it's what I like about it is also the simplicity that anybody that's listening to this, whether they're familiar uh, with any of this or have no idea, can, you know, easily understand, um, you know, everything that you're talking about, or at least I feel that they should be able to, and then further their knowledge. I mean, I know I'm definitely going to be uh, ordering your your books. Um, why don't you uh, let everybody know where they can get more information, uh, the website, uh, how they can contact you, where they can get your books? Sure. The uh, books are available on my website in the store at yoursoulsplan.com. You can also order them on Amazon. And any library or bookstore, uh, at least in the U.S., should be able to order them in for you. Okay. We appreciate that. Well, thank you for being on Pull Up a Pew. Um, you're welcome to come back anytime. Uh, I know you like to do video, and uh, this does do it. I just haven't used it, but at some point we're going to be doing that, doing uh, both audio and, and video at the same time so people can uh, you know, go with their uh, choice. Or you know, watch both. Uh, well, yeah, pleasure. So thank you again. Love to come back sometime. Absolutely. All right, everybody. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, yeah. Wait for the next episode. Thank you all. Thanks for listening. Thank you again, Rob, for coming on. Yep. You're very welcome. Bye, bye, guys.